Chicago. It's another edition of Live from the Heartland. I'm Michael James. I'm here with Katie Hogan, and we're glad to be here again. We've got a good show lined up. We're going to talk labor history with Mike Goldfield up in the Northwest. We're going to talk with a couple of musicians from Italy and Chicago, and we're going to remember our good friend Mimi Harris. So all you friends, you neighbors, you comrades, wherever you may be, stay tuned for an hour of real inter interesting conversation and a good time. And once again, thank you, Keb Mo. We do stand up and be strong here in Chicago. So let's let it roll. Good morning to you, Katie Hogan. Good morning, Michael James. I know this is the time for good things. And I will mention just one before we talk about the doctors in Canada. Um, I just had a wonderful week with Brandy Carlisle in uh, Cancun, uh, singing and incredible live music, incredible vibes, uh, and all, not totally, but mostly girls thing. I love being in a girl's presence and um, 5,000 of them at a, you know, sunny resort in, in Mexico is an excellent way to, uh, splash around in the pool and meet a lot of really great gals. And I'm thinking of you all, mwah, especially all the incredible musicians. Well, so. it was really good to have you uh, make a little cameo appearance from the beach down there last <laughs> week on the show. I uh, couldn't believe that happened. <laughs> lightened up the whole deal. And you showed us that little uh, coaster that floated around in the pool. Yes. <laughs> Well, let's get to some serious stuff. Uh, oh, no, first, first, the, this really good thing, right? The, yeah. That, that uh, doctors in Canada can now prescribe visits to national parks, allowing those with prescriptions to enter without, uh, you know, free of charge, without paying their fee, um, in recognition that walking in nature is healing. Yes. <laughs> I like it. I like I it. I love I it. Do I do have a pass to go to all the national parks here. Uh, Me too. I got to start go. using it. Yeah, right. Okay, around the globe, uh, the Olympics are dominating the news, uh, at least some of it. And there's always controversy about China's human rights policy. Um, six young Japanese people are suing the operator of the Fukushima nuclear plant after developing thyroid cancer in the years following the 2011 disaster. And we still await with bated breath what is going on in the Ukraine with Russia, Belarus, etc. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very tense. What do you got on Mitch McConnell, Katie? Well, amazingly, Mitch McConnell <laughs> finally uh, reached a point where he was uh, upset with fellow Republicans. Congratulations. Welcome to the party, Mitch. Um, He's criticizing the RNC for the language that they used and for censuring the two House Republicans who are on the committee to investigate the January 6th rioting. Um, and uh, he said, it's not the party's job to police the views of lawmakers. Not sure what that meant, but what he finally and truly objected to were the words um, that, uh, the, that it, the, Investigation represented the persecution of ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse. Okay, that's dangerous, folks. If that becomes what looks like legitimate political discourse, we're in big trouble. 
So those words, of course, drew outrage from everybody, Democratic and even a few um, GOP senators who I have brain cells working. I'd like to know their names and congratulate them. But um, yeah, this, this uh, committee's work is extremely important, continues to be extremely important. And every time they criticize, uh, uh, what's his name, Cheney's daughter, I like Liz, her more. Liz Cheney. She's, she's pretty strong. Uh, uh, up in Minnesota, the Amir Locke murder by the, at the hands of the Minnesota Minneapolis police uh, has sparked protests as the dust from the George Floyd murder has only begun to settle. The officers used a no-knock warrant in the early hours of the morning and shot the 22-year-old Amir Locke dead. Uh, he was not listed as a suspect in the warrant. So the mayor uh, ended uh, all no-knock warrants. And uh, you know that's an issue that we're dealing with in Chicago and around the country. Uh, so let's hope that there's some, some semblance of justice in some way for this young fellow who got killed and that these policies that get enacted too often are abolished. Yep. Uh, what about Supreme on Court? The, Supreme the, Court did something good. They did. They, uh, no, I don't know if they did or not. No, the Supreme Court, I don't, you may know of something good. Oh, oh right. What I saw was that they rejected the Alabama federal court's decision to have Alabama change the legislative districts that were drawn to favor Republicans. And the reason that the five to four decision by the conservative majority lacking Roberts who went with the liberals was because it was too close to the date of the election. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't you know mean, what- you mean, you mean too close to the November election? Yeah, or, or what, maybe there's a primary, I'm not sure, but it's- I wonder. There was not a lot of, you know, in the news, it was basically they just decided against, uh, you know, a better situation for black voters who are over 25% of the population in Alabama and are limited well, to one district. We need to, uh, we need to do a, a little house cleaning on the voter suppression and voter protection stuff that we normally do reporting on because as the primaries draw near, there was another decision, and I'm not even sure where, so I'm not going to talk about it, about uh, Ohio district redistricting. There was a court decision this week, so we, we'll catch up on that. And yeah, that was, that was in Ohio, though, Ohio court. Right. And there's also a decision in North Carolina, I think, so I don't know what effect exactly. this thing that the Supreme Court did, just did will have on those other states. I don't either. Um, and on the reefer report, uh, we've been talking a lot about Oklahoma and how, you know, pot is being grown there like more than many places. People are moving their, their farms from California to Oklahoma, and it hit the national news this week. But you have something else on another uh, so-called drug. Well, I, I just got this from our, uh, our dude, Emilio, who um, founded somewhere, a group of Maryland senators recently filed a bill that would create a state fund that could be used to provide free access to psychedelics, psychotropics, um, for military veterans suffering from PTSD, who, um, while also supporting their research into their th therapeutic potential. We have reported on therapeutic potential of psychotropics before, and I'm really happy to see this happening um, as a former 
an indulger. I felt it helped my mental health greatly. And okay, what's happening with COVID, Michael? Well, you know, there's this trucker blockade up there in Canada, Canada, and uh, it's some Canadian truckers, but it's some American truckers and a lot of support coming from right-wing American groups. Um, you know, the, their GoFundMe page was canceled, but then the Christian groups moved in on it. There's talk about uh, trucks blocking uh, other border crossings from the U.S. side. Uh, so that's one thing that's going on over masks and mandate. No, it's over vaccination. Uh, here in Illinois, Pritzker says indoor mask mandate ends at the end of February. There's obviously a lot of Democratic governors have moved to end these mandates. Uh, probably it's connected to upcoming elections and politics as much as uh, the lessening of the threat. Our labor report is really going to come up with our guest, Mike Goldfield, but let's just tell everybody that Starbucks employees continue to organize and congressional staffers now have launched an effort to unionize uh, their workplace, and we'll hear more about that. Um, yeah, let's Chicago, ask Michael about that when he comes out, if he knows. Yeah, we'll see. And uh, in Chicago, the Chicago Gig Alliance is urging support for the rideshare living wage ordinance which will protect not only driver safety, but uh, also protect the level of prices being charged uh, for the, the consumer, the people riding in the back seat of those Uber cars and those Lyft cars. So we'll follow that because that's a good one. And uh, you know, anytime people are organizing, we're really happy about that. I guess, and <clears throat> just uh, lastly, before we bring in our first guest, and we have three guests today, so. Bear with us, folks. They're all interesting. Um, here in Rogers Park, we are mourning and marking the passing of one of our own, uh, Steve Kaneen, a man who's opened up a great little joint on the corner of New Garden Devon back in, uh, I'm thinking 72, 73, called Kaneen's. It was a, it is still a great bar. He created, he did the thing that a community most appreciates. He created a safe, fun, uh, lively place on a corner and, and invited the world in and also ran it the way he wanted to. Steve was no pushover as anybody who knew him could tell you. He had his, uh, he had his rules, but he also had in this tiny place, a big old pool table. Um, and when COVID hit, they found a little back patio that they could use and serve on for a while. Um, I just want to say I love Steve Kaneen. He was a wonderful guy. And we used to run into each other at the bank when we would be dropping off yesterday's receipts, uh, me from the Heartland, him from Kaneen's. Anyway, peace in your transition, Brother Steve. You were a real doll. Uh, you are listening to the Live from the Heartland show. It's broadcast on Saturday mornings and streamed on Saturday mornings on WLUW 88.7, WLUW.org. Uh, we're going to return with our first guest in just a minute. But first, a little music from the late, great Iris Sullivan. We're going to take a blue stroll and be right back for a walk up Labor Lane along Labor's Highway up onto the today. A report, a conversation with our labor historian pal Mike Goldfield up in the Northwest. He's going to tell us about where we're coming from, where we're at, and where we're going. We'll be right back. Here's about 30 seconds of Iris Sullivan's Blue Scroll. <laughs> 
welcome back to the Live from the Heartland show. We're out of Chicago, but now we're going to head up to the Seattle area. We're going to talk with an old pal. Haven't seen him in 100 years almost. That would be Mike Goldfield, the retired labor professor from Wayne State who worked in the Newark Community Union Project way back in the 60s. Good morning to you, Mike. How goes up there in the north? Good morning. No, thing, things are great. The temperature is mild. People are shivering and it's 48 degrees. <laughs> so I just came from Detroit where it's a little colder. Yeah, it's a little chilly here too. We're, uh, we're more than shivering. We're staying inside. <laughs> right. So how long were you in Detroit? You were teaching at Wayne State. Yeah, I was there for 30 years. Um, so I got kicked out of school at the University of Chicago. I was a teamster for a year. I spent nine years working for International Harvester, trying to raise as much hell as I could. Um, and then I w we went back to school and we were in um, Cornell for eight years. And in 92, I came to Detroit. So 30, 30 years I spent in Detroit and I just retired from Wayne State. Good for well, you. Let's jump right in. Uh, in, the, in the current period, let's say right now and over the past year, we've seen a large upsurge in union organizing and strikes, more than we've seen in a long, long time. We've got uh, workers at Amazon going at it. Uh, they were down in Bessemer, Alabama, which you've written about and I'm sure you will talk about. We've got Starbucks, we've got uh, teachers, we've got workers in auto plants, coal miners in Alabama, work, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. How about giving us a little bit of information of what you see going on and what it means? Okay, so I think this period is interesting and it's different than in, in certain ways than other uh, periods of labor upsurge. It also has some similarity. So in general, in the past, like in the 1930s or in the 1960s with public sector union organizing, there were certain big strikes that galvanized people. So in 1933, the coal miners across the country organized in six weeks and they pretty much inspired other people. Um, teachers organized early in 1960, particularly 50,000 New York City teachers struck. Um, and that was sort of a signal for everybody else. This, this period is unusual in that we haven't had any massive strike um, or union victory, but it seems to be taking place across the board in big places, little places. Um, I mean, I keep track of a lot of these things and the, the list, some of the things have been publicized. The Frito-Lay workers strike has been publicized. John Deere, which is close at hand to Chicago, um, workers struck. But they're, they're, they, in, in Kentucky, water workers are on strike. It seems to be taking place, whether it's a Republican state, a Democratic state. Um, in uh, Here in Seattle, concrete workers are on strike. Um, and the list really goes on and on. There's really no rhyme or reason to the strike. The main thing is that the main thing seemed to be that workers uh, who've been underpaid, working and pressed too hard, um, have been really concerned, the lack of safety um, conditions, particularly during the pandemic. And with the labor market being tight and employers 
having trouble hiring all the people they want. Workers have a lot of leverage. So workers gain leverage in different types of ways. One is when the labor market is tight, other groups of workers, um, skilled workers of certain types, which includes professional um, athletes have leverage because their skills aren't easily replaceable. Um, and other workers are in industries where if they strike, they cause lots of damage. So this strike wave is taking place, I, I mean, all over the world in some ways, but certainly all over North America. I think one of the particularly inspiring things is the biggest GM plant, General Motors plant in Mexico, where General Motors and other auto um, companies hire workers to do the same thing as are done in the US, but as a fraction of the cost. Um, so workers in the biggest GM plant uh, in Mexico, over 6,000 workers, rejected the traditional company union uh, connected to the PRI, the pro party of um, revolution from uh, over 100 years well, ago, which has become very um, anti-worker. That they voted almost 90% in favor of an independent union, and they're now raising demands to get more than the eight or $10 a day, which they get. Um, so, um, and they have a lot of leverage. GM needs their production. Um, so I think this period is unusual in terms of the spread. Part of it has to do with the pandemic. Part of it has to do with uh, um, other things going on. Um, but go ahead. I mean, I have more to say, but why don't you proceed with um, other types of questions? Well, you, you brought up the history of the 30s, and um, I'm just wondering, you know, how, how you, we can compare, or if we can compare even what's going on now to the organizing of industrial workers in the 30s, or to the organizing of the public sector workers in the 60s and 70s. You spoke a little bit to that, but is is there uh, is there anything notably um, down a different path on this organizing that's currently going on? So yeah, so so I think in general, what happens? Uh, I mean, my belief is that workers under capitalism always need and mostly want unions, yeah. and they're kept from and they're kept from having them. Um, coal miners clearly needed unions during the twenties, but they were. Uh, brutally smashed um, and whatnot. And it wasn't until the early 1930s that they really started organizing. Um, so, and I think that's the same. So in all these periods, workers have had repressed needs that finally got broken through. So that's a similar thing. Um, but in some ways, the, the critical sector, so it's nice to see Starbucks workers organizing. Um, you know, for those of us who go into these coffee shops, these people seem like they're working at high speed. They have a lot of complaints that we don't see in terms of pressure and harassment and shifts, um, um, irregular shifts and that sort of thing. But they're not in a position, even if they all organize, to dramatically affect the economy. On the other hand, Workers at Amazon have a, have a lot more leverage. So Amazon is unusual. So, so Walmart was the first um, big uh, co 
commercial sales chain to, to go this high speed delivery and to make things very efficient. But 90% of their workers work in big box stores, um, 200 employees, 300 at most. Um, they don't have a lot of leverage compared to Starbucks workers. Starbucks employs, and who knows, it changes every day, but you know, somewhere around a million workers in the United States, but 80 to 90% of them are in these big warehouse and delivery stations. The biggest ones, like the one in Bessemer, Alabama, have four or 5,000 or 6,000 workers in them. And if these workers organize and successfully strike, then they can shut down significant parts of Amazon's operation. Um, they also can create a lot of havoc for the economy. So most of us at this time depend upon a lot of these deliveries, both for consumer goods, many of us, uh, particularly some of us who are older, are concerned about shopping and have del more delivery. I never would have thought of having food delivered. I know. Uh, <laughs> either from a restaurant or a grocery store before the pandemic. Or a um, snack late at night. Yeah, or I mean, maybe a pizza delivery. But aside from that, um, you know, it wasn't anything on the horizon. And, and now, it's become a much more central part of the economy. Yeah. But the, the the other thing that's the other thing I think that's peculiar about this period is that while workers' pay has only increased marginally and conditions are thought of as bad, these companies have made record pro profits during during the pandemic. So um, Amazon, um, but. But even John Deere locally, I mean, not in Chicago, but we go down to East Moline and places where they have their 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 big plants. Have Close made enough to be local for what? us. Close enough to be local for us. Right. So so John Deere has made huge profits during the past year and a half. Yet they offer their workers three, four, five percent um, wage increases. They don't check the speed up at all in the plants. And yet they're doubling and tripling their profits over a very short period of time. And I think that in addition to the leverage that workers have, the resentments, um, you know, we have Jeff Bezos with a half a billion dollar yacht, which doesn't have space for a heliport. So he um, builds a second yacht to drag behind. So his girlfriend, uh, who's a pilot, can land her helicopter there. It, you know, this somehow, um, doesn't resonate if you're barely scraping by and having to uh, come into work when the company isn't providing any safety conditions or whatnot. So I think that, and and the important thing to recognize is this: this is taking place all over the country. I mean, people. So there's nothing cultural about what's going on. So so when you talk about the South, which is the place that I've spent the most time studying particularly labor there people say oh southern workers are this there's a culture of submissiveness or individuality or this or that all these places in the south workers face bad conditions they're organizing they're striking um, and that also took place as i try to document in my most recent book on the south the southern key um, which i sent a flyer to you maybe you can circulate um, this took place in the 19 30s and 1940s, 
And Alabama, what although we think of it with you know George Wallace and this right wing um, racist stuff going on, Alabama was a very liberal state for 10, 15 years. And the reason for that is that 26 percent in 1945, 26% of the workers in the state reunionized. And to put that in perspective, there's no state in the United States that's over 25% unionized at present. And even places like Illinois and Michigan, which we considered historically high unionized places are under 20%. So Alabama led by coal miners forced the election of officials and forced the government to do a lot of quote unquote you know, progressive thing. Mike, Mike, let me jump in and ask you, uh, what should we keep our eye on? What's a bellwether of what's to come of what we're seeing going on now? So I think that the, the amount of strikes and organizing are not yet, even though they're very widespread, are not yet comparable to what we saw with public sector workers in the 60s and 70s or anything going on in the 30s. And I think that the things to keep um, an eye on are the are the industries and places where workers have lots of leverage. So that includes what's called the logistic cha chain delivery. It's not just warehouses and Amazon. It's truckers. It's longshoremen. The courts, the ports are clogged up. Um, it's basic manufacturing, which is still much more important in the country than than people argue. So for example, with the exception of Mexico, which is very close by, almost all the foreign auto workers have moved their assembly plants and much of their part production to the US. And many of that's in the South. So 25 to 30% of auto production in this country is done by what are called transplants. So that's Toyota, um, Honda, at, et cetera, et cetera. The, the four or five Japanese um, auto manufacturers are the biggest. So they they do that because they this is this is a prime market for them. And there's a lot of it used to be in the 80s that they'd import cars, but that's too much of a hassle. Um, there are a lot their tariffs and all that. So the production in this country, we, we need to look at heavy manufacturing. Um, oil production workers, uh, logistic workers. It seems to me when these workers organize massively, um, it'll stimulate much greater uh, organizing among workers with less leverage. And that's historically what happened, not just in the 30s, um, in the country as a whole. It happened, uh, a lot has been written about Hormel workers in Austin, Minnesota. Um, they organized the main plant there, and then they went to organize uh, what's called wall to wall. So beauty parlor people organized, newspaper delivery people organized, everybody else. So I think that those big places that organize um, and strike, if they're successful, will stimulate a much bigger wave. And in Chicago, um, in the Chicago area, you still have manufacturing, although nobody writes about it. And I'm also struck that even on the left, people pay very little attention to labor. So for all the good things that the 1619 project has done, for example, there's nothing about black labor um, in, 
in the book or in what people say, which is sort of peculiar since almost all the famous um, early black historians concentrated on looking at the labor movement, I mean, including W.E.B. Du Bois. So I think that we look for this organizing to take place. Um, Amazon's going to be a tough nut because of the resources that they bring. I would compare it to steel, to the problems that steel workers placed, faced in the Chicago, Indiana area, where there were over 100,000 steel workers in the 1930s. Um, the companies had so much resources and were so repressive that steel workers took a, a lot longer to organize than coal miners or cl clothing and um, workers and that sort of thing. When they finally organized, there was a huge explosion. And these big locals, uh, you know, at one point, South Works, Gary Works, uh, these bigger places had 30,000 or more workers working at them. So when they finally broke through, there was a massive spreading out um, of organizing and strikes. Uh, I want to just, uh, in the light of, you mentioned, you know, truckers being an obvious, uh, you know, logistically strong uh, unit of workers to organize. We have a political problem there, though. We have, um, a, you know, given what's going on on the border between Canada and U.S. right now, we have the most, the truckers making the most noise are, are pretty right wing. Uh, they're turning mask wearing into a political statement. They're turning uh, scientific reasons for closing borders. Uh, I, I think that's, it is challengeable, but um, it's being done in such a way that's pretty uh, unfriendly, shall I say. And <laughs> just couple that with um, the inflation that everyone is experiencing now, whether or not they got a raise in pay or any pay whatsoever, prices have risen to uh, 7%, I think I heard yesterday, um, of most goods. So I'm not sure what the era uh, allows us to do and how we can support the new wave of organizing you know, to assist it. Uh, so cl clearly the present situation is complicated in a lot of ways, but I think that the cachet and the publicity go to people like these truckers. So if you look at the data in Canada, over 90% of truckers in Canada are fully vaccinated. Right. Let's assume that if you're fully vaccinated, you're not on the picket line at the, I mean, around it in Michigan, the two biggest bridges to Canada. Um, and by far the the biggest one is the ambassador bridge from Detroit to Windsor. Um, so who are these people? They're handled being handled with kid gloves. You can remember, um, certainly Michael can. If we had a demonstration in Chicago and you know the '68 convention, um, we were beaten by clubs and people were killed at these things and whatnot. And these people were being handled with kid kid gloves there there's a there's a um a lot going on and certainly the ascendancy and the leverage in terms of publicity are not on the left at this point uh the black lives matter stuff well as, as extraordinarily impressive it was dissipated as a public phenomenon um in the months afterwards fairly um quickly um Michael, you know what would, I mean, I was in 67 
with tens of thousands of us sitting in and spent overnight surrounding the Pentagon. And we were all worried with all the troops there that we were going to be shot. Um, and you look at what happened last year on January 9th. You know, if that had been us and we had actually broken through into Thanks. one of those buildings, we'd all be, many of us would be laying on the street. Um, so, so it's, um, there's lots of things going on, clearly. Do you, you know, the, uh, thank you for giving us so much information and uh, we're going to digest it. Uh, tell people briefly how they could get your latest book or how they get a hold of you. And we'll have you back in the not too far off with more labor reporting. Yeah, that, so, so that sounds good. So my book is going to come out in paper, they claim, but, you know, the publishers slow on these things. But um, the flyer I sent you has a discount coupon for 30% off. Uh, the, it's called the Southern Key Class, Race, and Radicalism in the 1930s and 1940s. Um, it's available from Oxford University Press. Um, you asked me about the background that this is actually on the cover of an earlier book I did called The Color of um, Politics, Race in the Mainstream of American Politics. And it's basically about race and labor from the beginning of colonial times to the present. Um, I'm available on Facebook. Uh, I have a website at Wayne State. Um, People want we'll to get in What? We found you one time. We'll find you again. You did great. And I really appreciate it. And we, we keep talking longer, but we got a whole bunch of other guests coming on. No, that's fine. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And Mike, I haven't seen you in a long time. So uh, next Thank time. Thank you, Mike Goldfield. Thank you so much for joining us and for your lifetime of good work. Thank Excellent. you. Appreciate you later, it. brother. I thought you were a painting at first With the way your eyes stared into mine Your smile is just a silent color Of something most divine All right, so we just heard from uh, a song that you guys made. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because we didn't, um, it's either Painted Lady or what was the other one, uh, Freddie? Woman. Yeah. Painted Woman, sorry. Yes, yes. Painted Woman or... It's the same thing. There was another <laughs> one. Well, Lynn, Lynn is the person who hooked us up with you guys and she sent us eight tunes. And, okay. Uh, we're not sure which is which, but we'll work that out when this thing gets presented. Uh, not only for the radio on Saturday morning and the streaming, but forever on youtube.com slash Heartland Media. So All right. we're ready to welcome the two of you in. Our guests now are Freddie McGuire over in Florence, Italy, and Larry yeah. Williams right here in Chicago. Right here. The occasion for all of this is because they have a new album out, uh, Freddie's album. It's called Evidence. It's got a yeah. bunch of tunes on it. And... Uh, Freddie is coming to the States to appear at Buddy Guy's Legends on February 17th, and he's going to play with a wonderful band called the Larry Williams Band. There you so go. Good morning to you two guys. Good morning. Good morning. 
Welcome to Live from the Heartland. So listen, let me let me ask Larry. Larry, Freddie told yes. us that you guys met each other on Facebook. Yes. How did that happen? Yeah. Please tell us how that happened. Well, actually, I'd, uh, I've done a lot of engagements out in the UK and um, the videos that we that we posted were pretty, pretty good. They're pretty good. And um, and uh, Freddie got a hold to him and uh, he dug him. And he, uh, in return, uh, spoke with this uh, beautiful young lady named Colleen, who's here in Chicago, who introduced me to Freddie through Facebook. And that's how the connection got started. And, um, you know, as, a, as an artist, you get a lot of phone calls from a lot of different people. So it wasn't that, you know, we were blowing anybody off or anything of that magnitude. It's just that things start, you know, rolling and sometimes you don't get a chance to get to it. So... I got a chance to listen to some of his material. I was like, wow, really? He said, yeah, and I got this, I got that. I said, wow. And I got excited. I got excited because the uh, enterprise that we're dealing with, LD Enterprise, is that, you know, we're doing a whole lot of different things such as, you know, uh, uh, PR work, uh, EPKs, uh, contracts, showing artists how to get everything going. And we have a record label on the table as well, which we which we're about to launch. We have not launched yet, but it's on the table. And I'm like, okay, well, he's a great artist. I like the way he sounds. Let's go. Let's run with it. Then I got excited. Then when I got excited, I'm like, look, I told my team, we got to jump on this guy. We got to jump on him. So so that's where we're at now. Freddie, what what's your uh, side of that story now? F fill in your side of that story. Yes, yes, we uh, we had. Um... Um, a great connection, and uh, and Larry's uh, an amazing musician, a great artist, and a very nice and, and sweet person. So I'm uh, I immediately thought that it would have been uh, a honor for me to have an opportunity more to to come back to Chicago and be introduced uh, by a great artist like him and. Uh, and my music can only be better if uh, a musician like him plays it. I mean, nice. It's amazing. He's amazing. Very nice. And we have we, we have the same uh, the same taste. We 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 both uh, uh, love uh, Larry Graham uh, and uh, and yeah. funk music, soul, rhythm and blues. We are uh, both eclectic, so we we like the same things the same music styles, blues, uh, rhythm and blues, funk music. So it's a big pleasure to, me to play with, with, with Larry. Have you been to Chicago before? Freddie? I've been to Chicago uh, once in October and November uh, 2019. All right. Yeah. Let me ask Freddie how he got interested in blues and rhythm and blues, soul, funk, Living over in Italy, I know listening, your dad is your dad is from Philadelphia, but uh, an Irish to, guy. How did you uh, develop your interest in music over there, and what is the scene like in Italy for funk, blues, you know, rhythm and blues? You know, my uh, my American grandfather, he was from Philadelphia, and uh, uh, he could um, uh, meet people like uh, Bobby Timmons, uh, Lee Morgan. Uh, Benny Galson, you know, and many other musicians, blues and just musicians. So he, he owned, owned uh, um, a huge collection 
So when I was a child, I used to listen to my grandfather and my grandfather's and my father's uh, collection. So I fell in love with, uh, with the Beatles, with Graham Central Station, um, Sly and the Family Stone, uh, uh, Cap Dameron, uh, Howling Wolf, uh, Jimi Hendrix, and many others. Many so you were you were basically doing the same thing in Florence that we were all doing here in Chicago, listening to the same music yes. and getting the same beat and the same yeah. good vibes. Yeah. Uh, let's let's ask Larry um, yeah. Larry Williams. You've been around for a while, I assume, yeah. and um, Chicago is still your home. I, yes. Yeah. So, um, what do you hope for from this uh, big album you've made called Evidence? Is that right? Yeah, well, well I actually, we're looking at big things to come through it. I've, uh, as I indicated, you know, I've been in the UK many times and uh, ran across a lot of artists that are very, very good. And uh, I think the connection between the US and the UK is perfect coming through music. And uh, what the uh, CD that, that Freddie has basically put together himself and, and, and pour all of his ideas in and all, like I indicated, all we did was enhance what it is that he's already doing. And uh, with that, I'm looking at real good, big, positive things happening and launching off everything that we're launching off here in Chicago uh, with me and the whole team that we have. We, uh, we're, we're excited. We're very excited. And um, as a, our, our way is to make sure that, you know, everybody we deal with, you know, gets their fair share of the music industry as everyone else, you know. And we definitely think Freddie has a big part to play. Are you two joined by other artists? I'm sure you're joined by other artists on the, the album Evidence. Anybody you want to mention? Well, I really don't want to name drop right now. Okay. I, uh, but, I, but I would like to say that uh, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome CD. And uh, 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 not saying we're going to do any changes on it or anything of that nature, but like I said, it's still out there and we want to make it as perfect and as good as possible. So when we do put it out there and we do start name dropping, we'll make sure that everybody is on the same page. And that's the whole thing about LDF. We, we want to make sure every artist get his just due on everything that we do. You know, when it comes to the uh, the singer, the drummer, even, even if you got a tambourine player, we want that party, that person to have the, the his just due as well as everyone else. How did you guys, how did you put the album together? Did you just have, uh, you just merged the tracks that were recorded in Italy and the tracks recorded here in the States, in Chicago? I recorded, uh, you know, the uh, Italy and, uh, and then I called uh, a few special guests. You know, my Italian guitarist, Sergio Montalini. He has uh, worked for, uh, over uh, 20 years with uh, Sugar Blue. Yeah. And uh, a few Chicagoans, like my my very good friend, uh, Cross Charles Mack. <laughs> Who's that? Who's he sang, that? He, sang, he, he sang a song with me, Take My Blues Away. Yeah. What's the and, name? And uh, Cross Charles Mack. <laughs> yeah, Charles Mack, he was actually the bass player for James Cotton when uh, James Cotton was alive and uh, yeah. him and his brother Mark Mack, they were bass player drummer, which we all grew up together. Uh, uh, I grew up with the Mack brothers and, uh, and, and they're outstanding musicians. So what Charles Mack laid down was awesome. 
you know, it was totally awesome. And uh, and I love the track that he did. I love the uh, music that was put together as I indicated. Freddie primarily put everything set in the uh, UK. And then it was something to me as I listened to it and and I was tweaking what needed to be tweaked as I as, as I told the other musicians here in Chicago. Uh, but at the same token, he what he put together was outstanding. Go ahead, man. Larry. You you you're you're at Legends. Are you the house band at Legends? <laughs> no, no, but but I am there a lot, right? <laughs> okay. No, I could be mistaken well, for it, right? <laughs> yeah. No, well, well I, I'm actually one of the artists that uh that I'm, I'm grateful that uh folks called me in to play uh for them. And a lot of the gigs are at Legends or or or, or Kingston Mize and one of my favorites in Chicago, uh down on Clark Street. Uh, those are, you know, people call me in to play with them. So you can probably primarily catch me playing anywhere. <laughs> so, so how much, yeah. how cool is it going to be to uh, have Freddie in Chicago and drag him around to all these places? It's going to be awesome. You have, it's it's going to be awesome. awesome. <laughs> and, and especially as I indicated, I mean, everything, like I said, when it, when things started rolling, it just started snowballing and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was growing and it's still going fast. I'm, I'm trying to catch the ball. So, <laughs> but, but everything is working That's out so great. Really well. Uh, we, uh, I said, we have a spectacular team behind us. I have uh, 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 EPK team ready. I have contract team. I got studio. I, it's like a lot is really going on and we're excited about it. And to introduce Freddie to a lot of these places is going to be awesome. Okay, What's the name so, of your label, Larry? What's the name of your label? Well, the label that's on the table, because I don't want to, you know, false advertising because it's rolling now. Uh, it's called LD <laughs> Records, okay? But it's also on the LD Enterprise, which covers a wide range of, of, of musical okay. talent, commercials, movies, and things of that magnitude. So we're trying to get in the whole ball of wax of things. If we can get some of Freddie's music on a movie, we want to do that. If we can get them on on a on a, 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 a mobile commercial, we'll do that. So whatever we're we're trying to do a lot of things with the artists in Chicago. So then, like I indicated before, everybody, the pie is so huge that everybody can get a slice of pie and be full for the rest of their lives. Larry, I mean, excuse yes. me, Freddie. Let me ask you: Are you going to sing uh, all these songs in English, or are you going to do some in Italian? Can you do the same song? In both languages. No, I've never sung in, in Italian before. <laughs> never, because English sounds better for me, especially uh, for blues. Yeah, especially for my music. Yeah. Okay, guys, I, tell us the date and the time and where it's going to happen. Well, we were there. there. That legends early, say about seven or eight o'clock that, that that evening, and uh, the first show will be at nine o'clock. Um, and uh, we are planning on doing at least two shows uh, that night. And uh, we're looking forward to everybody being there, you know, come on out and support, you know, uh, uh, Freddie and, and, and the LD production. So if you come out, you know, you're guaranteed to have a good time and, and there's going to be a lot of good music being played, a lot of good entertainment. And definitely I'm going to give you some bass solos. So. All right. <laughs> well, we so were going to send us out with a few bass notes. Oh, which would be fine. I don't. I don't. You know what? I, I did think about that, uh, but I don't. That's have okay. It's okay. Up now. But I, I promise you, next time we do a Zoom meeting, I will definitely have the bass plugged up, ready to go. 
All right, we'll uh, see you guys next week on the 17th at Legends. Friday, uh, February 17th, Legends, yes. around 9 o'clock. Exactly. Exactly. Thank, thank you, thank Francesco you. From, uh, <laughs> from Florence, and thank you, Larry, from uh, Southside. Uh, yes. We're up here on the north side. I hope All we right. see you guys uh, later this month. I really would like to meet you in person. Well, I, and so, I want to thank you guys for having us uh, uh, and introducing this thing. I really appreciate you. And we love you guys so much. Thank you. Back right, at buddy. you, babe. Back All at right, you. All right, Freddie, I'll see you soon. So we are so happy to welcome our good friends, um, Mary Driscoll, Peter Kuttner, who we asked to come in this week for an extended in memoriam on our friend Mimi Merkels Harris. God love her, God bless her soul and her transition. And we want these guys to talk about what she meant to you and us all. Welcome back, you both. And let's just launch whoever wants to go first. Mary? Uh, yeah, okay, hurry up. Uh, so I, I just want to talk a little bit about a remembrance of Mimi. Mimi and I went to Spain together with our daughters and uh, we went to Barcelona and also we were lucky enough uh, because we knew the great nephew of Louis Buñuel to be able to stay in his house in a little town called Calacete. And uh, it was so moving to go to Spain with Mimi because her husband, Sidney Harris, has, had fought in the Lincoln Brigade uh, in the Spanish Civil War. And uh, it, it was uh, just wonderful to travel with Mimi. We had a lot of adventures. And the thing about Mimi, going anywhere with Mimi, you could be in Spain, you could be on a street corner in Chicago, is that she knew how to connect with people. And Mimi loved adventure, the kind of adventure that I call adventure of the soul, where being in Spain and in Barcelona was wonderful to be there with her, but I could have been anywhere with her and had those kind of adventures. She knew how to talk to people and get down to their essence and bring out the best. And that was one thing that I hope I learned a little bit about from Mimi, but she certainly had that ability and she was such a soulful person it was just wonderful to be anywhere with her um, i also saw the mother side of her because our daughters in in this little town in spain uh spoke reasonably well spanish so we're able to hook up with the local uh, uh younger people that were out there hanging around and they went out with them every night and one night they didn't come home until really late. And Mimi and I both were standing out of our little villa waiting for them. And Mimi had this black mantilla. And I don't know if she got it from Sid or where she got it, but it was definitely very fitting to the situation. And when they came home, I, I was ready to let loose, but Mimi in her black mantilla uh, gave the most wonderful little uh, lecture 
to the to the daughters <laughs> that was both on the one hand totally understanding and on the other hand totally uh, a learning experience for them and for me as well as to why they should not have stayed out that late. So I learned that from Mimi too, although I don't put it into practice as well. Then the other thing, Katie, and maybe you should chime in on this, <laughs> and I'll be quick, is our book club. Both Katie and I have been in a book club with Mimi for about 25 years, maybe. Yeah. And Mimi was- Pushing 30. Uh, 32. 32, wow. That, that's amazing. And Mimi yeah. was such a literary person. I mean, she knew all these wonderful books for us to read that were not, you know, new, not the latest out on the press. Like we read something from George Orwell, Down and Out in Paris and London that I had never heard of, but I loved. Yeah. And she introduced us to Ruth Ozeki as an author. I mean, what what a wonderful, rich literary experience. She also always wanted us to read the Russians, and we almost always resisted because they're hard. Uh, <laughs> but she did get us to read. Yeah, she did get us to read a couple of short stories. She did. So, uh, in in memory of Mimi, I'm sitting behind one of my bookcases, and um, again, I just loved her so much, and she was just such a wonderful person to know. Um, I, I I hope that I was able to internalize some of some of the things about her and take them and make them part of me. Um, Peter, how about you? Wow, this yeah. is a how about your, your... this is a hard act to follow. I think the the only uh, one that I would be harder to speak after would have been Mimi herself. Um, great story, Mary. Um, I met uh, Mimi on the battlefield. Uh, which was uh, maybe where she was all the time. She was always at battle uh, with the powers that be. Um, she wanted a much better world and fought every day uh, to her literally now, to her last breath. Um, we were in the midst of uh, uprisings around the assassination of Martin Luther King junior in Chicago in April of 1968. The uh, East Chicago Avenue Armory, Ar Armory was full of Illinois uh, uh, National Guard armed. And uh, those of us uh, um, who wanted to see some calm brought to the city decided it would be a good idea to uh, uh, march over to the Armory and uh, asked the soldiers to uh, stay out of the neighborhoods and let the people uh, take care of themselves. Um, Mimi uh, was there with uh, her, uh, her youngest uh, son, Adam, who's in a stroller. Uh, the daughter that uh, Mary Driscoll just mentioned, Suzanne, was uh, in Mimi's arms uh, on her hip. And um, uh, Mark, the oldest one, was kind of holding on to Mimi's uh, uh, skirts. Um, and uh, we were chanting. And all of a sudden, the doors of the armory opened, and soldiers with real guns and real bayonets on the end of them come charging out and, and uh, to, to break up the crowd. Um, 
I ended up in jail. Mimi, of course, had, uh, had her children and uh, uh, was not uh, uh, <laughs> above uh, using them as human shields and, <laughs> and uh, walked away unscathed. But uh, experiences, uh, I had many other experiences like that uh, with Mimi. Um, and uh, she was uh, such a good friend and had such great insight uh, uh, into you. Um, you know, they, there's this poetic thing about your eyes being the, the doorways to your soul or something. Well, somehow Mimi could really get through that, could pierce that, she saw that, she knew me. And I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only people, person that could say this. She knew me better than I knew myself. And even more important, she loved me uh, even more than I could love myself. And no, I Mimi treasure was, her. Mimi was a wonderful person. She, uh, her email was, I think, equal justice. She Pursue. was a fighter. Pursue, Pursue justice. justice. She was a, a fighter for everybody. And she would let you know if she disagreed. Uh, she'd encourage people to support each other in so many ways. I will always be grateful for Mimi who ran the Three Penny Sisters oh, cinema right. when she introduced me to the popcorn girl, her good friend, Stormy Brown, Diane Libman, who became my first wife. And uh, we love Mimi and uh, her memory uh, moves us forward because uh, we all still have work to do. Just, just want to piggyback on you, Michael. That's where I met Mimi at the Three Penny with Peter and the Popcorn Girl. I met her there too. Uh, I saw my first, uh, well, actually the first Martin Scorsese movie there, Who's That Knocking at My Door? That was great that Mimi could bring those kinds of films to Chicago through her, you know, management of the Three Penny. She was, this is the word I've heard the most used this week. Um, I, I used it myself uh, at a our class, Mary, on the day after she died, uh, Mimi was a giant, and she did not uh, she did not tower over five foot five. I don't think I don't know her exact height, but for <laughs> a petite gal, she was a giant, and her effect um, you can see it this week in people coming out with their remembrances and mourning her, uh, even at age ninety. 91? Was she 91? We had her birthday this summer with the reading group. But anyway, she was still active. She was still vital. She was, she was the greatest and we loved her. And we hope to honor her memory by being just as vital as she was to the world. Let's, hope. Let's hope we can. Thank you guys Indeed. for coming on and sharing these memories of Mimi. Uh, we would keep talking, but yeah, as usual, we're running out of time. Uh, you can get live from the Heartland anytime you want at youtube.com slash Heartland Media. We want to thank our team, Luis Mejia, down in Mexico, Lynn Orman Weiss, uh, our newest fellow, Emilio Davis, and uh, Gwen Brown over there at Loyola. And let's have these guys join us in our goodbye. Do good in the world. The world needs all the good that we do. All right. All people. people. The struggle continues. Mimi taught us that too. <laughs> right on, comrades. <laughs>